you have transparency, which didn't exist in a lot of affiliate marketing, where everyone's looking at the same reporting, they're disclosing their tactics. You have a real relationship, again, more like business development, you know your partners, it's not like you just take traffic and you don't know where it's coming from. And then you have real-time tracking that both parties can look at. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Robert Glazer, who is the founder and managing director of Global Performance Marketing Agency, Acceleration Partners. And under his leadership, Acceleration Partners has actually received a couple of company culture awards, including the number four ranking on Glassdoor's Employees Choice Awards, Ad Age's Best Place to Work, Entrepreneur's Top Company Culture, and Inc. Magazine's Best Place to Work. He also wrote a book called Performance Partnerships, and he has a new book coming out in the near future, another book. And so Robert, first and foremost, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you give us a little more background? I know I gave us kind of the the, the intro spiel, but tell us a little more about you and kind of what your story is. Sure. My day job is CEO of a company called Acceleration Partners. We're, uh, uh, as you said, a global performance marketing agency, but we what we do is we manage large-scale affiliate programs for really good brands and increasingly global. These are companies that want to sign up partners, you know, maybe 100,000, 10,000 partners to work with them on a performance basis, but but not really, not in the lead gen, but more in the high quality revenue share. And we think a lot, this is where a lot of the marketing is going, is that people want to pay for for outcomes and not inputs. So that's my day job by night. I, you know, work on running the business, have have three kids, uh, lots of hobbies, and and spend time, a lot of time uh, writing and thinking about leadership and growth and all those good things. Great. And you know what's interesting? I mean, we're, we're both marketers. And the, the way I see it, like, you know, look, you're always in the beginning, you're trying to learn all the tactics, all the strategies around marketing. And then eventually you realize that it's, it's a people game at the end. But because you like learning, or at least for me, I'm speaking for myself, I like learning so much about tactics and strategies. Uh, you kind of plug in that philosophy around people too. And it's almost like you're playing the same game. I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah. I mean, people ask me a lot about affiliate marketing. And I, and I say, I think it is 50 50. It is half people and half technology. We we are dealing with people and deals and campaigns and partners and then using technology to do that efficiently. And I, I think folks in marketing have tried to go sort of two people-based or two automation-based have had problems on, on both sides of the spectrum. Got it. That's great. So Acceleration Partners, can you give us a little more background there? I mean, what type of clientele do you typically work with? How long has the company been around? Sure. We've been around for 11 years. We're the largest independent uh, affiliate management company probably in the world because it's a fairly small field. We have 120 people now across the US, UK, and Singapore. And clients are large retails, retailers and consumer brands, uh, ones that we work with that are uh, tend to be public are brands like Adidas and Reebok, 
Target, Gymboree, folks like that. Increas- increasingly also now more on the subscription services side too, as a lot of, there are a lot more things that people are, are renting now instead of buying. So the, the performance and affiliate model works really great in that space as well, because brands have a really good sense of the LTV of a customer and therefore able to reach out to partners and, and let them know what it would be worth to them to get, to, to get new customers. Great. I mean, for those of those people that are unfamiliar, I mean, can you give a little background into affiliate marketing and performance marketing? I mean, I, they're basically to me the same thing, but uh, performance marketing sounds a lot better. It doesn't have that dirty kind of connotation. Yeah. So I, let, let me actually, I'll use the term performance partnerships, which was, which was the book. And I think even d- differentiates from some of the issues with kind of how affiliate marketing has been used. So the problem with performance marketing is it's used by everyone. You know, it's now, you know, denotes paid search or uh, social or anything like that. And, and what I like to say is there's a lot of forms of marketing out there that you can measure, but you can measure that it didn't work very well, but but you're still paying for that. The core element of affiliate that is different is the CPA element, meaning you tell a partner what a lead, a sale, a conversion or something is worth, and, and you only pay for that after they deliver that, and you ensure that it's a valid order and have dealt with returns and fraud. So, so you're really putting the burden of proof on that partner. And how we define a performance partnership a little bit different than kind of old school affiliate marketing is you have that CPA element, which is the core. You have transparency, which didn't exist in a lot of affiliate marketing, where everyone's looking at the same reporting, they're disclosing their tactics. You have a real relationship, again, more like business development. You know your partners. It's not like you just take traffic and you don't know where it's coming from. And then you have real-time tracking that that both parties can can look at. So that's what we see brands moving to are these performance partnership programs in which they're able to combine a bunch of different channels and 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 really go out and say the outcomes that they're looking for, track, measure, and pay on all of that. Got it. And so when you structure these deals, I mean, some people are probably thinking like, you know, how do you structure a performance partnership deal? Are you as an agency taking all the risk up front or how are you structuring these deals in general? Yeah, so we're we're more of an agency in the traditional sense. Like you would go to Google and buy your paid search, you'd go Facebook and buy paid social, and then you'd have an agency that actually executed across those platforms. So that's the same for us. Whether someone is using a SaaS platform, an affiliate network, they're really trying to separate the management and the strategy from the platform itself. So we are negotiating those deals. We're working on the partners and all that stuff, but we're not taking uh, risk. We are managing that program for them, just like you would manage a, a paid search program. The the mm. commission dollars go to the partner, just like the pay-per-click dollars would go to Google or the ad spend or, or the social paid social would go to Facebook. Got it. So if I'm Nike, for example, I might go to you. So I, I guess one of your offerings could be managing the ad platforms. And then one of your offerings could be going out there to find partnership deals. Yeah, so it's really one and the same. So let's use that example because they're not a client. So Nike comes to us and says, hey, we want to, we have this program and we want to grow it. So the first thing we do is we'd look at all the partners they're working with. We'd see what else that they need. Are there better offers? Are they not getting campaigns? They have creative, like, do they know what Nike's focused on to try to get their sales up? And then, yeah, we have a partner development team that goes out and recruits more and more partners. The difference in affiliate marketing versus business development is you're putting everyone onto a platform, a tracking platform. And that platform, you make them the offer through there. That's where they can pull out links and creatives and all the tracking. And that's the real scalable piece of it versus if all of these deals required paperwork with business development and checks and I-9s and stuff going around, all of that is handled through a centralized platform that lets us manage all those partners in one place. Let's say Nike, you know, we're talking about you know, hate hate to bring this up, but you know, Red Sox just won the World Series, and let's pretend <laughs> that 
let's pretend red, let's pretend Nike was the, you know, Red Sox, uh, Jersey sponsor. We would probably build a campaign around Red Sox winning the world series, go out to all of the sports sites that were in our partner network and, and give them banners and creatives and links and a promotion to go promote, you know, Red Sox world championship gear. And then they would get 10% of, of each of that sale. So that's, that's how the mechanics work, but then also how it's not just about having the people in your program. You need to manage them, give them ideas, build campaigns for them. It really is a mesh between marketing and business development. Got it. Okay, great. Yeah, it sounds pretty involved for sure. And it, I'm assuming there's probably some nuances where like, okay, the, the publisher will get 10% of the deal. And then within, you know, within that deal somewhere, you guys are collecting a percentage too? Or are you guys strictly just charging like a uh, management fee, like a flat management fee? We're usually hybrid, so we have a we have we might have an incentive on the performance of the whole program overall, but we really try to not have our incentive be the client spending more money. I think that's where me <laughs> I think that's where media has gotten into a lot of problems. So how is the program doing versus their goals overall? So yeah, we would depending on the size of the team, we have some programs that are in five countries and they have large teams. So there's mm-hmm. you know a baseline for the team, and then we say, look, what would what would success look like to you? And let's let's build an incentive system where we can both do well with that. Got it. And I have to assume, I mean, the, the companies that you named, it's, so it sounds like you focus more on e-commerce because the reason I'm asking this is also because if you tried to like work with so many different types of industries, it probably wouldn't work that well, but I could be wrong. The, the model works because it's just a framework. In some ways, affiliate is not a channel. It's a, it's almost a mechanism or a way to a way to pay partners. But we, we focus a lot in large consumer verticals. So whether it's retail or it's travel or financial services or, or the whole new burgeoning of subscription services, you know, these days people are buying their food and their cars and all this stuff in, in, in different subscription services. So the, the, and, and we're seeing a little bit of like, B2B too. We say it's more like B2SMB, but those are the main verticals that we focus in. Got it. Cool. So why, why do you think uh, this is like the future of marketing? I'm not saying I don't, I don't agree with you, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah. So in my book, I, I use the John Wanamaker quote from 100 years ago, one of my favorite, that 50% of my marketing is working and 50% isn't. I just don't know which half. And what's crazy is I think, you know, in 2018, with all the digital and all the metrics and everything that we have, we're not much better than that due to attribution. And people have been getting all excited about a new channel, whether it's Daily Candy 20 years ago or Snapchat. And then they, because it's an auction format, they all pile into it. Rates go up 10x. Now no one makes money. And we sort of keep falling into the cycle of falling in love with a channel rather than falling in love with how a channel works. Mm -hmm. And with all the display fraud last year and all the misincentives between agencies and brands, I just think the performance model where, where you define an outcome, you paid on that. This is just where budgets are going. Consumers, brands are going direct. Budget is moving from brand marketing into direct marketing dollars. And direct marketing advertisers want to pay for results. And so rather than saying, hey, why don't I buy a $20,000 sponsorship on your site? Or why don't I you know, sponsor this newsletter? They say, hey, why don't you run this sponsorship thing in the newsletter and feature it and I'll give you, we'll track all that and I'll give you 15% of every converted sale. And that way we both have some skin in the game. And and so I, I think the error of win-lose market 
kind of coming to an end. And brands are going to declare the outcomes that they want and partners are going to be able to to sign up for those. And, and we'll have to bear some of the risk in doing those programs and we'll know exactly what the return will be. I love it. Great. So I want to start talking about culture a little bit, but I guess, you know, people in the show love, love numbers. So what kind of numbers can you share around the business in terms of could be growth rates, uh, revenue numbers, whatever you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, we stopped doing the Inc. 500 thing. We were on that for a couple of years in, in a row, a few years ago. Um, but we've we've grown on average about 30% a year over the last 10 years and, and have been profitable the entire time. Great. And you said 120 team members? Yeah, probably about closer to 130 now in four different kind of country regions. Got it. Which countries? Uh, US, we started in the U.S. We opened an office in, in London last year, and we just opened in, in Singapore this year. And we also have several people supported out of the U.S. in, in Latin America, supporting some client programs there. The programs that we manage, a lot of them are really global affiliate programs mm-hmm. that are working with a single platform in seven or eight different countries or regions. And so clients are really looking for agency supports, people who can manage a program across on the same platform across multiple regions. Got it. And do you guys have your own platforms or like toolkits that you can, I guess, talk about a little bit? We are not a technology vendor in the sense that like the core tracking platforms and affiliate platforms. We think that those vendors do that really well. We have our own technology around delivering service, finding publishers, knowing who did well in certain programs. Really, CRM in our world is really important. Like who are the right people and when are they the right people? So so that is where we have invested in in our technology. We think there's a lot of people out there that have that deal with the payments and the tracking and all that stuff and that's not that's not really our business. Got it. Okay, cool. And, and so the, the the outside tools you're talking about, I mean, what do affiliate or not affiliates, what, what do uh, performance uh, what do performance people generally use or that you've seen out in the wild? Yeah, um, in in the affiliate space, you have traditional full service networks. So in the U.S., there'd be kind of names, you know, like Linkshare, which is now Rocketon Marketing, or Pepper Jam, or CJ Commission Junction, AWIN, which used to be called Affiliate Window, and then and then there's some SaaS platforms globally too, including Tune and Has Offers, Partnerize, Impact. So there are a lot of different tools that people use in the space, and it depends on the region they're focused in, the reach, whether they want to be on more of a a network with other programs, whether they want a totally private program. So that's one of the things, the advantages we feel that we have as an independent agency in terms of really coming into a company strategically and saying, we have no outcome, financial outcome in whatever platform that they use. We, We don't take kickbacks. We don't do anything like that. So Rather than talking to salespeople who always tell you that whatever they have is great for whatever you're looking for, we try to help clients pick, you know, know which which platforms are going to be right based on the needs that they've shared with us. Great. Cool. So I want to mark, work towards um, you know winning all those culture awards, right? Because those actually, when I think about a, a company, to me at least, those are the awards that really matter. You know, when I hear about all these other agency awards and people bragging about themselves, like who cares? But it's the culture awards I, I think that really show that you've built something um, that's sustainable for the long term. So congratulations on that. A. But B, um, can you talk about that a little bit and, and you know even talk about the story about these awards? Yeah, and and thanks for saying that because we we actually, as I mentioned, we you know we stopped being on the ink list years ago. Although we would qualify, we stopped submitting for a lot of the revenue awards because we just weren't sure. Like it, it's a great measure of vanity, but you see a lot of people on these lists they kind of fade out. They, you know, they blow up, they fade out. 
And it's 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 often not a measure of of sustainability. And really what it gets you is a lot of sales calls from lawyers, investment bankers and technology <laughs> service providers. Yep. So, you know, v- versus uh, uh, and look, you can have a business that makes no money and raise 30 million dollars and grew revenue. And, and, and so you're not necessarily creating much value. I think the culture wars, particularly the one that are based on employee surveys or people really saying, hey, this is a great this is a great place to work and I really want to be here. You know, we think it's particularly in client service. It's really hard to offer something, a, a great offering to your clients if employees don't want to be there. And we don't tend to refer to ourselves as an agent, but we live in that agency world. And we think having a, a destination company that people want to come work at. And look, we are fast paced and we want market leaders and it's hard here. But then we try to really support everyone as best as we can. That's been our unique combination of being both a healthy culture and a high performance culture. I have tended to, and that I speak on that a little bit. I've tended to see companies either be really high performance and kind of burn people out, or be really healthy and and the company's not really growing or or innovating or doing things that make it a, a market leader. Great. So I mean, how does one go about even winning these awards in the first place? Like, what do you do? There's a bunch of specific things that we do. I, I would just say at a high level, I I, I think there's five fact, really three factors and two modifiers, I say, that, that make a great company culture. So you need a vision. You need something that excites people about where you're going. You need values. And then you need clear goals and targets. And the modifiers on those are consistency and clarity. So you need clear values. You need a clear vision. You need clear targets. And you need consistent values and targets. I think a company needs to say, here's what we are, why we exist, who we are. And these are really our values. These aren't the ones that go on the wall. These are the ones where we hire, fire, promote people, all that stuff. So I I think we've dug in really clear. And we wrote a plan of what the company was going to look like in five years. And it would be exciting to the right people and maybe not to others. And we, we really live the core values in and out every day. It's based on our awards. It comes up in all of our discussions. So we've really been consistent. And our our culture is not right for everyone. But what we focused on is we do what we say and we say what we do. And so we attract the right people. And the people who aren't a fit for that, they're not angry. They'll say, you know what? I I signed up for the wrong team. I'm kind of a, I just realized I'm a, a running back and this is a passing off and you guys are, you know, great team, but you're going to be passing all the time. And, 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 and I'm a runner in talking to people that really come out of toxic cultures or frustrating cultures or situations they're upset with. It is almost always that leadership was saying one thing and doing another, not that they were consistent and, and that the person really just didn't agree with what the company was doing. Got it. And so for you, I mean, at what point did you decide? I mean, you said kind of like, what, five, six years ago where you kind of revamped this company has been around for 11 years. What happened for you to really hone in on this and, and, and focus on this? Is there a story behind it? There's not a specific story. I, I, I think we, we hit a point where we were really scaling. We had some great people at the leadership level. I, I, you know, we were growing fast enough that we were kind of breaking some of our people and and processes. And we just kind of had a reflective thing and said, look, we have, we got to figure out where we're going. Um, and, and so I wrote a, a multi-year plan. I did the Cam Herald Vivid Vision. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Five pages. And, and we're, we're, we're two thirds of that plan. And it was pretty audacious. It was like quadrupling and all these, we're going to be in four offices and countries. We're going to write a book and we're pretty much on or ahead of every metric, which is, it's kind of crazy as we work <laughs> our way through that. And we narrowed down our values and we said, what do we really want to do? What do we really want to stand for? And we kind of went to everyone. We said, look, this is kind of where we're going. This is what we're doing. If, you, if, if that's not interesting to you, this is probably the place to step off. 
And some people did that. And, and we really have been locked in and, and on those principles since then. And it's been an important guiding force for us. Yeah, that's really interesting because when you, when you put something out there, let's just say the, the Vivid Vision, it's not going to jive with some people, right? Yeah. And when you say, hey, look, guys, um, you know, this is not going to jive with some of you. Uh, you know, if it doesn't fit, um, you know, it's, now's a good time to step off. Did you provide them any type of you know, compensation to step off or, or was it just, hey, just get out of here? So, so no, actually, at the same time, and, and you can look this up if you want to Google Mindful Transition, we launched this program three years ago called Mindful Transition, which we wanted to eliminate two weeks notice and have open discussions with people. And if there was a better opportunity elsewhere or we thought it wasn't working or they wanted to leave, they could have that discussion. There would be no chance to be walked to the door. It would be totally safe. And we would basically figure out a plan for them and help them find another job if that's what they want to do. And so we've we've had this open transition system and we have people right now here or that are uh, have agreed to transitions, either something that they initiate or we initiated. They're working. They're working with our clients. They're interviewing, and and we've tried to really break this whole thing where people all you know people aren't at the best companies in the world that are, you know Google and Facebook and all these guys. They, people stay one point eight years. So we're kidding ourselves if we think people are going to stay for life or that it's always right, right. for them. And, and but we we think we've found a program to kind of break the taboo of that and have people have a conversation and know that we we're going to look out for them. And if they're not right to work here, then they can work elsewhere. So yeah, in those cases, it wasn't like leave. It was like, all right, well, you know, let, let's start looking for something else and let's talk to your manager and let's see what that means. And let's put a, let's put a time frame around this. Cause it wasn't that they were unproductive or toxic or whatever. They just, they knew they were going to end up in a different direction and, and we were able to do that. So I, you know, it's one of the things I'm, I'm proudest of is that we really dug into this. We're like two weeks notice makes no sense. It can, you can ruin a lot of good work by like giving a manager, you think you're doing the right thing two weeks notice. And then they're like, Oh, all those doctor's appointments and everything you've been doing the last couple of months. Like you were lying to like, it's just not a good, it's a relic from like a gone era. Right. Uh, th- that's actually really fascinating to me. So, so I, I want to go a little deeper into that. So, mindful transitions. Let's say, you know, I, Robert, I'm working for you right now, and I, you know, we we sit in a room, and I just say, look, um, or or maybe you have a sense that I'm not feeling it anymore. So, you call me into a room. So, how does that conversation go? Yeah. So, we have a lot of talking points about this, and this is actually the topic of my third book. Is is actually on this, which which will probably be out in about a year, and it, it kind of provides a manual for. This. So. First of all, at all of your check-ins, you you would have a discussion with your manager and they'd say, Eric, are, are you happy, present, and engaged? One out of five. And one of our core values is own it. So if you're if you're not telling the truth on that, then you've kind of already violated one of our core values. And you'd say, you know, honestly, like I'm fine, but I'm starting to think that, you know, client services isn't for me or I might want to go back to school. And 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 that would basically start a, a dialogue. A lot of the times you want to do something and it's a different type of role. We, we might be looking to do that role internally. When that discussion starts, what's really nice is a lot of time we shift someone internally or we say, you know, have you thought about, you want to do sales? Sales is looking for something. It seems like you'd be a great fit for that. Or we're going to need this operational role in about six months. Like it, would that be interesting to you because you're, you're a high performer, but you just, you know, you don't want to work with clients anymore, or you just want to change. And, and we'd have a discussion and we'd agree to a timeline and an outcome. And we kind of write up a plan. And let's say well, you did say, look, I went, let's say you said you, it's March and you said, I want to go back to school in October. We'll let you work here till October. Like, no, no problem. Like you're going back to business school. We know you're applying like 
there's not, I, we don't have an issue with that. Or, or you say, I really want to go do X, then you, you would probably start interviewing. We would start interviewing your replacement. We'd work on like a 60, 90 day transition plan. And we'd say, you know, can't go on forever. But so if it's March 1st, um, by June 1st, you know, we'll, 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 you'll be transitioned out and you'll have three months where we'll let you have the flexibility you need to, we want you, we need you to work and help train the replacement and you can start interviewing and working towards your next role. And then we have services like our recruiter will work with you on your resume. I've made recommendations or I'm happy to do. And and when someone calls and they can give a the current company as a reference rather than having to skip around it, it really it really helps them in their in their career search. Wow, I love that. So you're checking in with them, you're checking in if they're they're happy and engaged. And so, well, I guess I'll come back to this in a second. There's like so many thoughts going on in my head right now. And I know we have to work towards wrapping up soon. So one thing I noticed too, I mean, we talked about this before the call started. And actually, even before that, I was reading something before I talk about the notes. There's an excerpt of you, I believe it was with your your wife, uh, talking about discovering your why. Can you talk about that a little bit and you know what kind of impact that had on you? Yeah, it it was a huge impact. It was actually part of, came out of some work I was doing, different leadership programs within EO. And, you know, there's a framework now, part of the sort of your core purpose and core value is is kind of a why framework. Uh, There was a speaker in EO and I I watched him do the diagnostic on people and then just watch the look in their faces as he kind of explained to them why they did everything and kind of what their driving force was. And you could see the actualization that they had had from that. So I chased him down at an event that I was at with my wife and had breakfast with him. And and, and there's kind of framework of, of nine whys. There's actually another EO member, Jamie Duraghi, who does this work out of LA. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him. Nice guy. Yeah, great guy. And that's that's the same system that I used. And and there's nine whys. We've used it in our company and they're really accurate. They're really accurate in, in what drives people and in the actions with each other. And And once I understood that, it really helped me to think about what things I should be doing in my business, what things I should be doing in my personal life and my family, and sort of start getting away from the stuff that didn't serve my purpose or really didn't serve my values because it was inevitably a, a drain on energy. And, and when I started doing stuff that really was aligned with that, it was it, the stuff that you're doing at eight o'clock at night just because it's fun and, and time flies. Got it. So uh, what, what is your, I mean, what did you discover your why to be? Yes. My my why is to find a better way and share it. And my people in my company would tell you that. And my wife would tell you that. And my kids would tell you that. I'm not good at leaving things alone. Like I have to tinker with them. And then when I figure it out, like I actually want to share it with other people so they can do the same. So that, that tends to be a lot of my writing and the books too, which is like, hey, here's this cool way we figured out to do vacation policy and you may want to check it out for your own company. So I'm, you know, I, I'm fulfilled when I see other people implementing those ideas and getting, getting great outcomes from them. That's great. You know, as you're saying that you mentioned Jamie, I'm like, as I'm listening, I'm like, okay, let's, let's, uh, I'm looking through the EO directory right now to reach out to him. Um, just to, you know, go even further on that. And Jamie's actually combined the why stack as he calls it with some of the strength finders and stuff. And he has a whole thing now of where it's like, here's your why and here's how you do it. And here are your strengths. And like, it, it gives you a whole platform of like who you are and what you do well, that, that, 
you know, we're incorporating that into our business because it, a lot of these personality things are really about there's no right or wrong. But when people understand theirs and they understand other people's, they understand where there are natural tensions and where there is bias because they're too similar and they agree and they agree on everything. So we've the, the more that we've been able to do that kind of work with people on our team, we've found it's had a huge impact. Wonderful. Great. So I'll look into that more for sure. Thank you for that. I do want to talk about the the Friday morning notes that you started. Can you give us a story around that? Yeah. So I actually read uh, coming out of a EO Leadership Academy program, I started to try to be more intentional in the morning. I read Hal, Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning book, started kind of getting up, doing the journaling, exercising. And part of Hal's thing is to kind of read something motivational. And some of the people had given some books. I had taken them like and and they just weren't the type of motivation that I worked for me. At the same time, I'd find these interesting stories and quotes and people would send stuff. And so I, I started collecting them in a folder. And one week I started this note and it's a Friday inspiration. I started emailing to the whole company and it would just be a story. And it might come from something that happened that week or a newsletter. Or I remember earlier on, there was a newsletter that Lululemon had said about the four qualities of gratitude or they weren't really related to the company and they weren't necessarily related to business. They were related to getting better back to back to my why and and improvement and I didn't think anyone was even reading them and but then I'd start getting emails back saying hey I really love these every week and I've been sending it to my uh, parents or uh, my sister or someone else or could you add them to the list and I was actually at an EO event and I was telling a bunch of other CEOs about it and I said look I'm getting great response I'll send you the one I'm sending you and you know you can share that write your own a couple did their own some started sharing it I said, yeah, I wonder if, and then good feedback, I wonder if other people would be interested. So I fit a few more business folks and friends on the list. And and at that point, I couldn't really manage it by BCC. So I, I set up a newsletter. Um, I took uh, some of the old ones. I put them on a website. I made that people could actually sign up for it, even though it looks like a regular email. It, you know, I'd sense their newsletter system. And it just, even through EO and otherwise, it started spreading. And so every, I've been doing that for three years, every Friday morning. Now it's called Friday Forward and, and approaching almost 50,000 people in 50 countries to get it every Friday. That's great. So what, what, what keeps you doing it? Uh, it's a good question. So it's a lot of me kind of wrestling with a topic and, 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 you know, selfishly, I think like it might sound like this issue that I've solved, but I, I honestly solved it by thinking about it and writing it. But what gets me writing is the feedback that I get every week. I'll get 20 or 30 messages from all over the world. People thanking me are saying, look, I had a really bad week or this was the right message at the right time. You know, this is helping me. This is making a difference. And, you know, for all those long weeks and vacation and everything where I've thought about kind of skipping a week, it really is those messages that I get that, that you know, make me want to get up and write it again the next week. It's like a drug. Yeah. It's, you know, when it, and it's interesting because a lot of people say this is the best one ever. And it really has nothing to do with the message I wrote. It has to do like exactly where they are that week and where that message kind of hit them at that at that point in their life. Totally. Great. So working towards wrapping up, I just got two more questions for you. What is one new tool that you've added in the last year? It's added a lot of value to your life. So it could be like a Peloton bike or it could be like a new app. Yeah, I added a Peloton bike, which I love, <laughs> which is great. Uh, it was probably a little more than a year, but it was um, a program called Scenebox. Oh, yeah. Which is based 
Yeah. With the guys like the, I, I'm an inbox zero person and it really helps in terms of it takes a lot of your email out of your inbox that it can tell you don't need to read right away into a folder that you can read once or twice a day. It also lets you snooze emails. So if you know if you send something to me and you say, look, let's connect the next time you're in LA and I know that I'm going in uh, January, I can kind of snooze that email to come back as new a week before then. And, and rather than having to throw it somewhere or leave it at the bottom of my inbox. So that's really helped me be more productive with my email. Yeah, Samebox has been great. Uh, very happy customer here as well. Robert, what is one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience aside from the ones you've written? Yeah, it reminds me of that scene in What About Bob where he recommends all of his, you know, shelf full of his own books, uh, if you've seen that movie. No. One, one of my favorite, he, he's a psychiatrist who wrote a book and it's the only book on his bookshelf. And he, you know, when patients come in, he's like, I think there's a book that could help you. And it's very, <laughs> very funny. One of my favorite books that I've read in the last few years is called um, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. And it's about cognitive dissonance and really understanding cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is just present everywhere in our families, our business, our work and whatever. When you read this book and you really understand it and you see it, it really helps with decision making and employees and not employee issues and not repeating mistakes when you see kind of what a powerful force it is. What's it called again? Mistakes were made, but not by me. Got it. Cool. We'll put that in the show notes. Well, Robert, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, if you go to Robert Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R.com, you can find links to everything that I do. And if you're interested in joining the Friday Forward, it's uh, you can Google Friday Forward or it's FridayFWD.com. Robert, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.